All right. Uh, our scripture reading is Psalm 19. This is our sermon text as well. This is the psalm we just sang a paraphrase of. Psalm 19, reading the whole psalm. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end. Then there's nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. And to our New Testament reading, which is John chapter 1. Well-known passage here. It speaks of the eternal word, our Lord Jesus, the Son of God. John chapter 1, we'll read verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. 
Thanks be to the Lord for his perfect word. Let's pray now. Indeed, O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. John Calvin, beginning of his great work, The Institutes of the Christian Religion, says this, Nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. He's saying wisdom means that you know God, and wisdom means you know yourself as well. You understand who God is, what God's done, what he's going to do. And not just to understand that, but to know him and trust him as he is who he is and does what he says he'll do. And then Calvin says, wisdom is also to know ourselves in light of who God is, to know who we are, to know what God's made us for, to know what God requires of us. Calvin says that's what true wisdom is. Now, how do, we, how do we get this kind of wisdom, this knowledge that Calvin's talking about? Some people say, well, if you want to know, uh, know God or to know yourself, you look inside yourself, right? Look inside yourself, get introspective. You get to know yourself that way, that, uh, right? You, you look inside. But how can I know what a human being is or what a human being's for? I didn't create myself. I didn't knit myself together. I didn't design myself. I was created by someone else. And he's the only one who can tell me who I am and what I'm supposed to do. All right, so, so I can't know myself until I know God and until I know what God says about me. And we can't know God either without having him speak to us, reveal himself to us. Psalm 19 is all about God's revelation of himself. It's about how God has revealed himself. He's revealed himself with high-definition clarity to the whole world. He's broadcast it, who he is, to the whole world. He's revealed himself in his word and in his world. And he's revealed uh, truth about himself and truth about us. And this is what Psalm 19 is all about, that God has made himself known to us. And the, the, the question that Psalm 19 puts to us, the application it puts to us is, God is speaking, has spoken, continues to speak about who he is, who you are, what his will for you is, what his truth is. Are you listening? Are you obeying what he's saying? Are you paying attention to his word? The psalm has three sections, and we'll, we'll work through each in turn. The first is verses 1 to 6. We see that God reveals... His, uh, that, that God's world, excuse me, God's world reveals his glory. God's world reveals his glory. This is one through six. The psalm starts by saying, look up, look at the sky, look at the heavens above you and marvel at God's handiwork. You can picture David, right? One of those dark nights in the desert. No light pollution at all, if you can imagine that. Right, and he's out there in the wilderness of Judah, perhaps, and he's looking up and he sees the, 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 the galaxies, the stars above him, and, uh, uh, and he is just in awe of what God has done. We see this as a, it's a familiar theme in Scripture that God reveals his glory through the things he's made, especially the, the things that are, that are in the heavens. We see this Psalm, for, uh, chapter 8, 
says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? The scriptures are full of, of marveling at God's handiwork in his creation, pointing us to, to the majesty of, of what he's done in the, in, the, in the planets and the stars, the galaxies, the sunrises and sunsets. And he is, he's showing us, right? David's, David's saying, look, you look at that, and it's not just nature. Right? God's creation around us isn't just an accident, and it's not a neutral thing, and it's not a mute thing. It's preaching at you. The heavens are. The world is. His creation. They're, they're, they're God's heavens. And they are declaring His glory to you, David is saying. They're God's heavens, and they're speaking of Him and, and His glory. The, 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 the universe is like a cathedral that He's built. It's like a canvas that He's the master artist who's painted on. And, and, and they show us he, he's an architect and an engineer and a builder of just magnificent capabilities and power and creativity. He's an artist of infinite skill. That's what the heavens are declaring to us. He's like, uh, we should look around at what God has done in his creation and see, see, see him behind it as the composer and conductor of this great symphony, which is all about him and his glory and his beauty and reflecting that. Paul, uh, Paul speaks of this in Romans 1, verse 20, about how God made the creation to reflect His glory. Paul says, for, his God's, for God's invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. The whole world, Paul says, is, is proclaiming the glory of God. Especially the heavens, of course, as we see in the psalm, in Psalm 19 here. It's the heavens, right? God has made them his throne. The earth is his footstool, uh, showing, showing his, uh, his glorious, uh, infinite power. Some people treat God's signature in creation as though it's hard to see, as though you could blink and miss it. Um, but Psalm 19 says it's obvious, it's unmistakable. It's right there. Uh, it's so clear. Um, verses 2 to 6 lay out for us how extensive God's declaration of His glory is, right? Uh, verse 2 says, Day to day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. This is what's called a merism. Uh, it's when you have uh, 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 two contrasting terms like body and soul, life and death, right? Two opposite things. And they stand for the whole complete picture. Right, so the psalmist says, David says, day and night. He, he's saying all the time, constantly, always. There's never a moment when God's creation is not declaring his glory. And then he says not only all the time that God's creation is, is telling you of his glory and his power, he says it's also all over the place. Look on in verse 4, their line or their speech has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And then he, then he goes into this imagery of the sun rising, right? And the, the heat and the light from the sun shining on every single part of his creation. And, and David is saying that's what God's revelation of himself in his world is doing. It's not only all the time, but it's in every place. There's no part of his creation which, isn't, uh, which, which doesn't include his revelation of himself. 
Always and everywhere, his world is declaring his glory. This is what theologians call his general revelation, right? His revelation of himself through everything that he's made uh, to, to, to everyone to see. Are you paying attention? Are you listening? Are you, are you seeing what he's doing and, 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 and acknowledging him for it and worshiping him for it? The poet Gerard Manley Hopkins, one of my favorite poets, is a lion. He says, the world is charged with the grandeur of God. Right? It's, the world is charged with the grandeur and glory of God, and we should see his handiwork in it. And we should be marveling at him for it and worshiping him for it. But as glorious as it is, right, to see a beautiful night sky, a gorgeous sunrise, as, as wonderful as that is, and as clearly as it speaks to us about who God is, um, we need more, don't we? Imagine you are walking through an art gallery filled with an artist's paintings, and you can learn a lot about that artist just by looking at the paintings. Right, you can see the things he was interested in, the things that he, uh, his painting style. You can, you can learn a lot about him just by looking at the, the different things he did. Um, but, but then con- imagine that then you get to meet with him in person. And you get to interview him, sit down and talk with him. Right, how much more are you going to learn from him as he speaks to you face to face and tells you, you know, now this, this is what I was thinking. This is who I am. This is what there is to know about me. Right? God gives us his general revelation. He paints this picture. He says, there's so much for you to see and marvel at here, but you need more. So he gives also his, his word. He gives a covenant word. This, this word, we, we call it special revelation. His unique word. Uh, this is even before the fall that he does this. God gives Adam a word before Adam falls into sin. He gives him this word. So God speaks not only in his world, but also in his word. And as wonderful and as beautiful as his revelation in his world is, his revelation in his word is so much more so. And that's where we turn now. Uh, Our second heading, God's word reveals his truth for our lives. God's word reveals his truth for our lives. The next section of the psalm is verses 7 through 11. Um, the psalm is shifting here. David's shifting to talk about special revelation, right? God's, uh, God's word that he speaks. And we see, a, we see a crucial difference that we should, we should pick up on between the first six verses of the psalm and the, next rest, the rest of the psalm that we're moving into. In the first six verses of the psalm, uh, what, what name does, God, does, does David use uh, for God? You see it there if you have it open. Um, and in the first six verses, as he describes the creation and the glory of God in creation, he speaks of God as God. That's the Hebrew for uh, that's, the, that's the English for the Hebrew Elohim. God's name as as the Creator, as the as the Almighty Creator of the world. And then he turns in the next bit of the psalm, as he turns to talk about God's word, he switches the, the name he's using for God, and he says, "Now he, he says the Lord." He doesn't use Elohim anymore. Now he's using the word, the name Yahweh, the Lord, through the rest of the psalm. And he's saying that, that the, 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 the God of creation, who's revealed his glory generally to everyone as Elohim, the great creator God, is also our covenant-keeping, promise-keeping Lord, who gives us that, that family name. 
as full of majesty and glory as God's revelation of himself in his world. He is seen so much more clearly uh, in, in his covenant relationship with his people as he draws near to them as, as Yahweh, as the Lord, and speaks to them his word. We sang this earlier, um, this, this setting of Psalm 19. It puts it really well. It says, The heavens declare your glory, Lord. In every star your wisdom shines. But when our eyes behold your word, we read your name in fairer lines. The rolling sun, the changing light, and nights and days your power confess. But the blessed volume you did write reveals your justice and your grace. God's world cannot reveal him as Yahweh, the covenant Lord. His creation reveals himself as Elohim, as God, creator, but not as covenant father, promise-keeping Lord with all the grace and steadfast love and faithfulness that comes to us through that relationship with him. Another hymn, a line from another hymn says, Here, O my Lord, I see thee face to face. And that's what we get in the word of God. David launches into a description here of God's covenant word, his special word to his people in in these next few verses in the psalm. He uses six parallel statements to refer to God's word and to describe its benefits. In each statement, um, this is pretty much the pattern he keeps. He starts with a name for God's word, then he gives a descriptor for that, and then he gives one of the benefits uh, of that for us. The first one he gives is this. He says, "...the law of the Lord is perfect." Converting the soul. The word law there is, uh, is, is from the Hebrew Torah, which means instruction, right? It's, um, it's, it's the kind of the most basic category in the Old Testament for, for God's word. Uh, one commentator says this term, law, is the comprehensive term for God's revealed will. Fundamentally, this is, this is God's covenant will that he reveals. It's his covenant communication. It's his, this is addressed specifically to his own people. It's not just his law about rules to live by. He's gonna, David's going to go there. He's going to talk about the rules, the commandments in a bit. But, but here he's talking about everything that God is in the covenant word he's given to his people, about how he's their savior and their redeemer, and about how they're to respond to him in faith and obedience. David says this law, this instruction that he's given us is perfect. It's flawless. There, it lacks nothing. It's, it's complete. And then he says, it converts the soul. This is the, this is the same word translated in Psalm 23 as he restores my soul. Same word here. It converts or restores, right? Turns around is the sense, uh, the literal sense. David is saying God uses his instruction, his law, uh, uh, to go after sinners and to reclaim them for himself. And he goes after discouraged sinners and he restores them. By his promises, by his word. His word is like a spiritual defibrillator, right? To bring you back uh, uh, when you've been straying into sin. His word restores life. The second thing here, uh, he says that the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Testimony is another very interesting word. It's just as much as Torah was loaded with connotations of the covenant, so is testimony. Um, if you read Exodus 25:16, there, uh, the Ark of the Covenant is said to hold the, 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 the two stone tablets on which the Ten Commandments are written, and they're called the testimony. Those stone tablets put into the Ark of the Covenant 
are the testimony, Exodus 25 says. It's the testimony to the Lord's faithfulness and the testimony to the Lord's covenant with his people. It's sort of like the marriage license of the covenant. David says, this is your, this is your testimony. The Ten Commandments. These are sure. They're reliable. They are verified. They're guaranteed. God has put his law and his covenant commitment to his people. He's written it in stone. And he's put it there, the Ark of the Covenant, right there. And it's kept in the tabernacle at the heart of the people's worship and, and their life together uh, is, is God's testimony. And it's not a rough draft that's going to be edited and updated and changed. Uh, there's no escape clause in it. It's his eternal, sure covenant word, his commitment to his people. David says this testimony, which is sure, makes the simple wise. It's good for the naive. It's good for the inexperienced. It's good for the, the foolish, uh, the unknowing. Right? This, this covenant word of God teaches us how to live, makes us wise. He goes on. He keeps piling on these different descriptors for God's word. In verse 8, we get two of them. Uh, the third and fourth nouns David uses for God's word. Um, he uses the word statutes or precepts. And then he uses the word commandments. These two ideas are really similar. Uh, they basically mean God's rules, his, his, his specific laws that he's given to his people, instructing them, here's, here's the way to live. Uh, and he, these are the laws that David, David says, these are God's laws on how we are to live. They're right, they're pure, just, they're, they're, they're the righteous laws from the Lord. We often take a negative view of laws. And rules. We can read about, at least for me, I can read about David rejoicing and delighting in God's rules and kind of scratch my head. Why would you rejoice in a rule that you have to follow? Because our, our culture, uh, right, we, we have this idea that freedom means doing whatever you want. Uh, but that's not what the Bible says real freedom is. The Bible says real freedom is not when you can do whatever you want, but what you can do what you were made to do. Um, it's freedom to do and to be what God made us to do and to be. So the Bible says you actually need God's rules if you're going to be truly free and happy. This is an analogy is used a lot, but you can picture a train and train tracks, right? And, and the train tracks are God's rules. And if you take away the rules, it might look like freedom. The train can go wherever it wants if there's no tracks. But really, you can't go anywhere. Right, you have to have the tracks because it was made to run on those tracks. Right, and we were made to run on the tracks of God's rules, His law that He's given us and His perfect wisdom. And when we're doing that, that's where freedom is. And that's where we find what we're made for. This is how David sees it. He says the, the statutes, the rules of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. He rejoices as he reads God's rules for his life. He sees God's will for his life. He says then the commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. He's basically saying God's rules make you happy and healthy and whole. There's a practical sense in which that's, that, that's, that's, that's true in a very kind of practical, general truth kind of way. If you, if, you're, if you follow God's laws, if you are kind and generous and hardworking, right, you are going to probably have a, 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 decent, a decent life and enjoy, enjoy the good things of this life. But what God is uh, saying to us in his word here is much more than that. He's, he's saying that um, this is a promise for eternity. 
God's rules, rejoicing your heart, enlightening your eyes, giving you strength and vigor and, uh, and life is really a promise for, for eternity. God's commandments will bring you an eternal joy. Fifth thing, as David continues on here, talking about God's Word, he mentions the fear of the Lord. Now, it's not really... Uh, he's breaking from the pattern a little bit there in, uh, in verse 9. He's not talking about Scripture, but our response to Scripture, that God's Word will bring us fear, not guilty fear, not, uh, not um, to be frightened of God, but a holy reverence before Him, before His majesty. David says this fear is clean. God accepts it. Uh, it'll endure. It won't fade or end. It will last through death unto eternity. He says it's a good thing, this fear of the Lord. And then sixth, the final word David uses for God's word is the judgments of the Lord. He says they're true, they're righteous altogether. These are, these are the way that God's word in the Old Testament lays out the judicial decisions uh, for different situations to, to, to enforce his, his good justice and compassion in Israel. And so David looks at all this. He looks at all these different aspects and facets of God's Word, and he marvels at it. And he says, this is, this is a glorious Word, and it's a, it's a life-giving Word. Do you see yourself, dear ones, with David, how, how good God's instruction and Word is? How rich it is? And, and do you see what David promises it can do for, for you? If you give yourself to it, God in His Word reveals Himself with perfect clarity and He reveals to us who we are and what He's called us to do with wonderful clarity. He gives us His Word and it's an all-sufficient thing. Everything we need to know for salvation and everything we need to know about how to live our lives faithfully before Him, He gives us in His Word. It's a life-giving thing. Well, David comes to the end of this six of these six descriptions of God's word and its benefits for us, and he launches into praise, um, praise of God's law. He says in verse ten, "More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb." David thinks of the most precious thing he can think of, right? Gold, and he takes the sweetest thing he can think of, honey. And he says, God's word is more precious than that, and God's word is sweeter than that. It's more valuable and more useful and more beautiful and more precious and more to be treasured up than gold is, he says. It's worth more than all the money in the world. When Queen Elizabeth II was coronated, uh, she was presented with a Bible. And as the Bible was presented to her, these words were spoken. We present you with this book the most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom. These are the lively oracles of God. She was presented with other things. A crown, riches, power. But the only one that was said this is the most valuable thing the world affords was a book, right? God's Word. Do you believe that about the Bible? Do you believe that about God's word, about his law? He reveals who he is with perfect clarity to you. He reveals everything you need to know, all the wisdom you need for life. Do you value it like a gold miner values a gold mine? And do you work in it? 
to get it into your head and your heart and worked out in your life with that kind of diligence. There are infinite riches to be found in the pages of Scripture. And yet we treat it so often with disinterest. David says, not only is this word valuable, it's sweeter than honey. Nothing else tastes like God's word tastes. David has this delight in God's word. It's dessert, or he loves it. He could eat it all day. It's like eating candy, right? The sweetest thing you could imagine. High fructose corn syrup, I heard one guy say. Do you savor the taste of God's word? If you don't, it's not the fault of the word. Right, it's because your spiritual taste buds haven't been developed enough yet. Ask the Lord to give you a taste for it, to give you a, a desire and a hunger for it. There is nothing like the Word of God. It shows us the dangers that are ahead of us. It protects us. It guides us. It shows us, as verse 11 says, the path to great reward. It, it shows us the way to God. So, dear brothers and sisters, this wonderful word from the Lord, do you treat it as such? And do you get into it and, and give yourself to it, listen to it, trust it, and obey? All right. We've seen God's world reveals his glory. We've seen his word reveals his truth for our lives. There's one more thing that his word shows us, and that's our sin and our Redeemer. God's word reveals our sin and our Redeemer, in verses 12 to 14 at the end of the psalm. David opens his final section of the psalm with a question in verse 12. He says, who can discern his errors? We're such poor judges of ourselves. Uh, David's saying, Lord, you've shown me your glory in creation. You've shown me your truth for my life in your word. But I, there, there, there's more I know that your word shows me, that you reveal. And that you reveal who I am as well by your word. You show me my sin. He's talking here about his hidden sin, uh, the, the, the sin that's in his life that he isn't even aware of, and his prayer is that God would show him this sin so that he can, uh, that, that, that he can be forgiven for it and, and be cleansed of it, that God would take the searchlight of the Scriptures and shine it over his life so that he would see where his idols are and where his pride is and where his selfishness is and where his grudges are, that God would show him all these things. David also knows he needs God to work in his heart, not only to show him the hidden sins, but also to keep him from the high-handed sins, the presumptuous sins, as he says. All right? David is not immune to temptation, neither are we. Sometimes we're tempted to say, Lord, I know your word says, your law says, don't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And we're stubborn in our sin. And David says, Lord, keep me from that. That is, that is to rebel against you. Keep me from doing that. How's the Lord going to do this? Well, with his law, with his instruction that he's going to work into his, into his heart. So this is David's desire that God would be at work in his heart with his word, um, working in him real holiness, real faithfulness, real covenant growth in grace. He knows it's only God's word that God works in him that will accomplish this in him. But then there's one more thing that, that the word of God shows us in connection with this, even as it shows us our sin. And this is the most important thing for us to see of all, of course. And this is where David ends. As he closes out this psalm in verse 
Uh, he, he ends in verse 12 with a prayer for forgiveness and cleansing. He, he has a prayer for holiness in verses 12 to 14. And all of it comes to a culmination at the end of verse 14 as he fixes his hope on his Redeemer. He says, Lord, you are my strength and my Redeemer. He ends with his eyes on the Lord, saying, Lord, you're the one who's going to save me. You're the one who's going to redeem me. You're the one who, who's bought me from, from, from sin. Uh, you're the one who's made me your own. And so David's hope is not in how well he's going to keep God's law, but in how well God is going to keep him in the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, and the grace God gives for obedience. So David is looking in faith at the Lord to do this, but we see so much more clearly whom he was looking at, don't we? He's looking to Christ. We see Christ here, right? The whole Bible, right? The, 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 everything God has revealed in his word is about Christ, pointing to Christ. He is, right? We read earlier, John chapter 1, verse 1, he is the word. He's the word who was made flesh. He's the full revelation of God to the, to the world. The heavens declare the glory of God because the eternal Son declares the glory of God. It's the Son speaking through the world. John 1.5 says, The light of Jesus' revelation through creation was shining uh, since the beginning, even though men denied it. He himself is the fullness of God's revelation. Jesus declares the glory of God. Jesus shows his handiwork. This is also true of God's Word. Right? We can take the words of Psalm 19 here, which speak of the Word of God, and we can speak them of Christ. Jesus is perfect, converting the soul. Jesus is sure, making wise the simple. Jesus is right, rejoicing the heart. Jesus is pure, enlightening the eyes. Jesus is true and righteous altogether. More to be desired is Jesus than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Jesus is sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. Because right? that's, that's what the substance of God's Word is. That's what God's Word is, is revealing to us. It's Christ. Not abstract truth, but Christ. So treasure his word and treasure the Christ of his word. Treasure him in his word. Use his word and trust his word and trust the Christ in the word. And respond in faith and obedience to him. Let's pray. Thank you, O Lord, that you revealed yourself to us and not left us in the dark about yourself, about salvation, about ourselves, about our sin and our guilt, our misery, but also the way to come to eternal life. We thank you that your word so clearly shows us our Lord Jesus Christ and his glorious gospel. We pray that we would indeed value your word and see Christ there. We pray this for his sake. Amen.